Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Enger, today with my fabulous co-host. <laughs> this is an amazing intro. Um, hey, everyone. This is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. So today we're going to be talking about my ghost prep of a show, the uh, women's extravaganza in Phoenix, Arizona over the past weekend. Um, surprise. I can beat it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I always try to keep it a secret. In the past, I've had clients not reach out, and we definitely are in the thick of competition season. I had an athlete in competing also th the same weekend in Los Angeles at the Iron Games, and then I had another competitor at her first show um, in New Orleans. Ugh, can't talk. Um, <laughs> and that was you know, very successful for both of them. They both ended up placing and doing very well. Um, the one was um, our scholarship athlete. So for up to this point, I've been her posing coach and transitioning her posing to wellness. So she, this was her for her wellness debut and she actually got second, which is wow. awesome. So I'm excited for her journey moving forward. And yeah, my other client, she got top four in her masters and open categories and it was her first bikini show as well so it was a very successful week uh end and um yeah I just keep it a secret because I just I don't want people to not reach out and we have a lot of athletes that started peak week this weekend uh for our team show coming up this weekend in Des Moines which I will see Chris for so yay Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited to be able to see all the girls and be with you again, Amy. Um, and yeah, it's been so busy. I feel like the, there's like these big spurts in the competition world where I feel like everybody's competing at the same time. And then there's like a quick lull and then it all happens again, but it was a really exciting weekend. I felt kind of like Cinderella. I felt like everybody was competing this weekend and I was at home like vacuuming and cleaning. <laughs> Um, but it was really fun to like, kind of like message everybody and tell them like that they did a great job. And uh, I don't know, it's just a very exciting time. So I was very excited to see you back on stage too, Amy. I loved your suit color. I thought you brought like a great package, like more muscle in your legs. And, um, I think, I mean, I'm sure the listeners want to hear more too about how the show went. So, um, well, thank you for those you compliments. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. So yeah. Do you want to recap and tell us a little bit more about your experience in Phoenix? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those of you that don't know, my coach is Damian Segovia, which he is his gym, the pros they're out of um, Gilbert, Arizona. So it's like 20 minutes from where the venue was. So he was there and this show was not, um, really like a we were going into this with zero expectations let's say that much <laughs> um you know it was borderline like will I be ready will I not I have another bigger plan coming up that um that I'm actually ultimately getting ready for so this is just like one of the steps along the way but mm -hmm. I really wanted to have my coach see me in person before that big competition because that's not going to be possible for him to be there um and then also sandy williamson was the head judge so she will not be for this other competition and i wanted to get her feedback 
as to like all of the changes that I've tried to make um, over the past year since she seen me last um, July. And I definitely, I tried a new suit color with angel yeah. competition bikinis. Um, so that was the Issa Denver mile high suit. And I, I never saw myself in that turquoise color, but I kind of liked it. Yeah. It really popped, especially with your dark hair. I was surprised when I saw your photos um, with that color on, but I think it really accentuated, it was good with like your skin tone too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I, like I said, I just did it more to get out the jitters because I have bad stage fright and see my coach and see Sandy and see what her feedback was that I need to change like moving forward. And um, I ended up placing fourth and open and I got fifth in my master's 40 and Sandy like when I came up to her after the show she was like I was looking she's like I was wondering why you didn't place in the 35 and then she's like and then I realized you got sixth um and those were the master's classes are so big they were so big that they had to split them in half um with height classes which is wow I mean she said that it's been growing so um but yeah, I got to go to her free posing seminar on Friday and then um, her feedback was much better than last year. So last year she basically told me to grow all over and to be in better condition. And this time she said, um, you know, everything's perfect, ready to go in the front. Your structure is really good. I just need a hair tighter in the glutes, which that's my last spot is my like high insertion glute ham tie in. So hopefully with this extra time, you know, that I do have for this bigger show that, um, I'm ultimately getting ready for that one. Hopefully I'll pray to the glute ham tie in gods that they (laughs) show up for that one. So they're stubborn. Yeah. I think, um, based off of what you, what she responded that you're in a really good timeline and, Um, that's always very encouraging to hear positive feedback from a judge, especially when you're going to keep pushing. Um, it's like their feedback is always like, I think helps you decide which fork in the road to take, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times. So that was really encouraging that she was so positive and, um, you had a lot of like positive experiences with athletes there as well. So could you, um, like, recap or give us a little bit of insight and as to what the posing seminar was there with Sandy? Yeah. So I, I primarily asked, um, questions about wellness just because that's something that's so nuanced. Um, so the, Mm -hmm. the two questions I had were specific to wellness. I feel like at this point, bikini has like been around so long that there's not much like new stuff that changes, um, in terms of that. But I did ask her because I have, um, I have a wellness, I had that wellness, um, competitor. It was of course the day before our show. So we wanted, we wanted to get from the horse's mouth exactly what we needed to do for her posing to make it perfect. So my client that competed for the first time in wellness, she has one side that's like so much better on her quarter turn Mm -hmm. than the other, like totally looks like a different person, especially in the waist. Um, and so I asked Sandy, you know, in their individual, do they have to hit all four quarter turns? So like front pose, you know, quarter turn to the right, back pose, quarter turn to the right. And she said, I'm totally good with 
you doing front, back, and at least one quarter turn on the side? Because she said, what I'm looking for is like that muscular development in the quarter turn, like on in the hamstring and the glute. So she mm-hmm. said that one's really important, um, especially like at the national level. So if you're a wellness competitor and you have one side that looks better than the other, she said definitely minimal is better. So the more time yes. you spend up there, the more flaws she's going to find. So my suggestion to you wellness ladies is to pick your best quarter turn side and go front, quarter turn, back, back to the same side, quarter turn, and then front, and then exit off and make it as minimal as possible. Um, I think the other thing, what else did I ask? I can't remember. Um, she did say that like too many people are bending over in their back pose and wellness and it's widening their hips and it's giving her a hard time. Um, so she said still stand up tall, but just like pinch shoulder blades or utilize hair to kind of cover the upper body because she said, you know, it's ultimately the most it's the only category that's supposed to be an imbalance. But what people mm-hmm. are doing is they're trying to correct that. Oh, and in the front pose too. She said people are bending way too far forward. And then in same with the back pose, they're bending way too much at the hips forward to make their glutes and hamstrings look bigger. But she yeah. said she's having a hard time seeing like the tie-ins, like the V's and everything. Cause it like flattens out their glutes ultimately. Yeah. So yeah. those were kind of like my takeaways, I would say, were the biggest That's ones. Great. Um, Did and they then, go? Oh, oh, yeah. Go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, Karina was there. So um, we've had her on the podcast before. She's a Yay. fitness pro. She's Now that she's fitness, she's coached by Whitney, but I coached her when she was bikini and figure and her, her first couple of fitness competitions. But her question was cool about the fitness round. Um, now that they've added back in the physique round for amateurs and for pros, it's always been there as a third of their points and then the routines two thirds. So she was asking if she's getting judged on her physique during the fitness round or is it just like solely two oh. separate things because she's heard both. And Sandy said, you are absolutely not getting judged on your physique whatsoever during the fitness round it's only during like when you're in the figure suit and the heels and so I mean she's that she did say she's judging strength and stamina during the fitness routine yeah um but yeah Karina ended up getting her first check as a pro so I got to witness that and her feedback was she actually got second in the fitness round um her size is just what kind of hurt her like with the physique part but her tempo was really good. So those of you that are fitness people out there, both her and Becky Clawson were like, it's all about the tempo. So many of the other routines aren't setting the right tempo and pace and they're not interacting with the audience like she was. So that's something to think about. That is great. Yeah. And also good to hear that she's not getting judged on her physique because she's like flipping around and (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine being worried about what I look like while I'm trying to do like a bunch of flips and those like push-ups and yeah, it's super impressive. Oh, that's so good. And um, oh, I just had like one random question that just popped in my head. So as you're getting ready for this show, do you find that your physique peaks differently when you're in different 
climates or did you run into any issues with um, like, you know, any type of conditioning with the environment that you were in since you were on the West Coast? Yeah, since I'm like, I hold water a little bit more than the average person. Mm-hmm. And one thing I notice whenever I go to either Colorado because of the altitude or um, Phoenix, I go a lot because we do have a home there that we rent out. Um, whenever I go there, I drop like three to five pounds just from like being dehydrated, I guess, because it's very arid mm-hmm. and not very humid in both those climates. Um, and there is a little elevation with the mountains and stuff. So I just find that I do, I feel like I, it's a good place for me to compete. I've actually, I've competed in so many different countries and states and I had never competed in Phoenix. And I actually felt like it was a good thing, especially at this time of year in November, because I went to Vegas, you know, last July and that was like too hot it was okay. so it was like 115 degrees and it's dry there and there is a little elevation but i just didn't feel the same effect as this one it was like 70 degrees perfect weather um so yeah i mean this climate was great i felt like oh perfect good good and so if we're like kind of backtracking just a little bit cuz we had you know we talked about some highlights of the show you definitely had some obstacles in this prep Um, Some things that you've been working through since like last year. So do you want to share with the audience just some of those things that have been um, things you've had to work around or discover? uh, Like what have been the biggest things that have you've had to work around in this prep specifically? Oh, man. Where do I start? Okay. (laughs) So first thing is I am 42 um, and basically perimenopause the onset is supposed to be within 12 to 10 years uh before menopause actually occurs and um it's a horrendous time of your life um i'm started (laughs) i started perimenopause last year um the first i knew about it was around like september of last year (laughs) so more than a full calendar year i actually ended up in the emergency room I had been bleeding for 18 days straight Mm -hmm. and my heart rate in my workouts, I mean, at this point I was pretty conditioned and because I work out all the time um, and I was noticing my heart rate was like getting out of control high. I was Mm -hmm. feeling like pale and weak. um, And so my OBGYN actually told me to go to the emergency room after hearing like how long I had been bleeding and like TMI, but like going through tampons, like every couple of minutes, um, like just awful. So they, you know, they did an ultrasound and, um, you know, my uterus was like abnormally enlarged and Mm -hmm. all that. So I had to go through quite a lot, like just with, um, so they did blood work and they kind of saw that my estrogen was like through the roof and like 300 something, um, my progesterone was like 0.1. Um, and so with my estrogen being that high, that's one of the things about perimenopause is that you go through this roller coaster of estrogen. So the first thing that starts to decline when you know perimenopause is coming around the corner is that your progesterone is the first thing that kind of starts to dip. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, you know, so you sporadically 
are like ovulating during this period of time. And like I said, it can last like 12 to 10 years before menopause, which menopause is a full calendar year of not having your period. Um, just to give that definition. Um, so yeah, like there'd be times when I would do blood work that my estrogen would be zero. Um, and then obviously like those times when it was like 300. So it's really, I mean, it's, it's terrible in the way that like when your estrogen's zero, you get, you know, hot flashes like crazy, any sort of change in temperature. So every time I would work out, I would get instant hot flash because my body temperature would change. Or Mm. if you drink like a hot beverage, you get this huge hot flash or, um, night sweats were definitely a real thing. And I had poor sleep. So, you know, progesterone being low anyways, like that helps your GABA receptors and your sleep and your, it reduces anxiety. So you can imagine without that as the counterbalance to estrogen, when it's like dipping and surging, it's just, it's a whole roller coaster of like crazy symptoms. Um, you know, like painful breasts, like painful cramping when your estrogen's high. And then the opposite, like when you have no estrogen, you're like, you know, your skin's not looking very good. And, um, but yeah, like you can look super watery. Um, I became very insulin resistant. So that was a really big hurdle in trying to like recomp, like do a recomp essentially. So those of you that have been following me on Instagram, you probably have seen that at this point, as of today, I think I've lost 31 pounds since all this craziness has happened. Um, Yeah. So body fat was extremely stubborn. I was stuck for a good part of pretty much this whole year until I finally got everything situated. So one of the first things that we addressed was the insulin resistance. So I could see that, you know, for how clean I was eating, my blood markers for my fasted blood glucose were in the higher 90s. Now they they consider 99 or higher to be pre-diabetic for fasted blood glucose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mine was like 95, 96. And then my A1C was, they also say like, you know, the closer to six you are on your A1C, that that's going to be, you know, diabetic or pre-diabetic, which is the sure. average of your three months of blood sugars. Mine was like 5.4. But again, for somebody that was like doing what I was doing, exercising like crazy and like dieting, you could tell like there was some insulin resistance there. Right. And my cortisol was like on the higher end. Um, I just was looking watery. I was, you know, with estrogen surging, you kind of collect fat, like you in saddlebags, like I had visible saddlebags. Um, and then with my cortisol as well and the insulin resistance, you could see like in my lower belly, like I had a tire and I usually am pretty, so my DEXA showed actually that for the first time ever, I had visceral fat on my stomach, Wow. which I don't, I, it's usually a zero. So these were all kind of indicators, but again, you have to kind of like take your blood work regularly to kind of know that, you know, the average person would be like, oh, she's pretty healthy. You know, it's not like it right. was like crazy. Um, so what 
what we did dietarily is we went like high fat, low carb mm-hmm. for several months just to kind of do an insulin reset. Mm-hmm. And I utilized GDAs, um, so glucose disposal agents, on the meals that weren't pre or post workout. Mm-hmm. And I was just really intentional about trying to take like a 10 minute walk after meals um, just to improve my insulin sensitivity. So that definitely helped. And, um, you know, once I kind of got on the right path with my insulin resistance um, throughout this whole thing. Um, so I guess where do I start with the hormone part? So when <laughs> my estrogen was zero, my FSH, which is my follicle stimulating hormone, that mm-hmm. one was really high. So it was showing that I was in menopause uh, because that's like your brain signal to your ovaries to make more estrogen. So anytime it's over 25 is supposedly like menopause, like getting close to menopause range. And then sure. the higher it is, the more close you are to menopause. So at 45, my doctor was like, well, you're in menopause. And I was like, okay, I'm just like not believing this because like there's random months that I'm having like crazy amounts of estrogen. And then I was still cycling like literally every month, like when my P tracker was saying that I was supposed to cycle. So, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with this, but I guess one thing that I want to talk about is like supplementation that I took to support. I talked about the black cohosh for the night sweats that really helped me, um, fish oils. So like full mega, um, from first form, Mm -hmm. those really help, you know, bring back my estrogen. And then for a long time, I pulled out my dim, um, Mm -hmm. as well until, you know, I saw that on my blood work that my estrogen was back in full force at like 359. Um, so then I, I added it back in, but yeah. Um, did you have any questions before (laughs) I keep rambling? Yeah. So if your estrogen, like, so would you say that it's good to get blood work, um, every quarter or like if our hormones in perimenopause are kind of erratic, what's a good way to kind of like keep an eye on them to know how to treat maybe some symptoms or help with your prep? Yeah. So that's a good question because it's, I kind of just let my doctor take the lead on the blood work. Okay. Um, Yeah. My endocrinologist and my OBGYN were kind of working in tandem with each other because the thyroid has a lot to do and I do have hypothyroidism. So they were trying to like piece together the puzzles. And this is why I wanted to talk about this today, like in particular, because I feel like there's just not a manual for people that are going through perimenopause. Like right. the more I talk to people my age, the more the stories just like sound so similar to me where they like have crazy bleeds. So mm. my doctor's recommendation when this initially happened. Um, so I've heard some people getting ablations. So first of all, she said I was not a candidate for that since I could possibly have uterine cancer. So you don't want to get the ablation cause you actually want to see how you are cycling and you don't want your wall to keep thickening with the cancerous cells. Um, so just like getting rid of your fact that your body's bleeding isn't a good idea. Cause it's actually telling me like, am I at risk for cancer? Or like, do I need to get another biopsy type of thing? So like, 
so you're using a menstrual cycle as a vital sign, which we exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay, which OBGYNs that's they've um coined that as now one of the vital signs for women is their menstrual cycle. So she was like, We'll just do you know, this blood work to see what your FSH was. That's when it was 45. And so she gave me my options. She's like, You could have a hysterectomy, um an IUD or you could go on progesterone. Um, I did not want to do the, any of those first two. I don't need birth control. And I, so that would have thinned the, the lining. It would have kept my lining thin with the IUD. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously a hysterectomy would have put me into surgical menopause. So I didn't choose either of those. I actually chose the progesterone route and it took a while for me to get that one right. So there was a stint of time that I was having trouble losing weight because I was progesterone dominant. I, you know, I started with 200 milligrams and went down to one. I tried the Bezwecan, Progon B. Finally, I like hit my sweet spot at 50 milligrams, which again, this is just my personal story. So right. don't take these recommendations. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling my story. Um, so yeah, progesterone dominance the way that you can kind of know you have it is just you feel like you're pregnant. If you've ever been pregnant, you're like super tired all the time. Um, that's the only way I can describe the way I felt. I felt so sluggish. Um, and then once I went off of it, oh, and you feel nauseous too. Yeah. So, um, so there's that that I dealt with. Um, and then the next step was then when the, it showed that I had zero, um, you know, estrogen and that I was quote unquote in menopause with my FSH, they suggested that I take, uh, like estrogen as a patch. And before going down that route with big pharma, I'm like, no, I do not want more estrogen in my body. Um, so I, you know, I didn't choose that and I'm happy with that decision. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with everything. I know I threw a lot of stuff out there. There are some things like that sometimes females get recommended when they have really high estrogen. And those two would be anastrozole, which directly mm-hmm. is an aromatase inhibitor. And that one directly impacts your blood serum. I would not recommend that females. Um, it's unless your doctor recommends it for you. I mean, I, I want you to listen to your doctor, but it is, it does impact the estrogen directly in the blood serum, whereas like a CIRM, so a selective estrogen modulator receptor, like tamoxifen, which prevents breast cancer, that one just affects the receptor sites. So it doesn't just like crush like all of your estrogen, like anastrozole does if that makes sense. So yes. just to educate, those are like a step higher. Those are in the bodybuilding world. Those are abandoned substance. Whereas like progesterone and estrogen are not, those are perfectly legal if you want to do like a drug tested event. But if you do go on like a tamoxifen or an astrozole, those are on the list. So mm-hmm. just letting everyone know if they have status as a natural competitor to like, keep that in mind um if that gets recommended so any other questions um 
I don't think so. I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of like big shifts in hormones, which we all know hormones play a role in our prep. And so navigating it, one, took some time. So you were very patient with like the process of like figuring out your body. You incorporated physicians um, and you also did your own research where you educated yourself because I think um, as competitors, we live a very unique lifestyle. And so, you know, a recommendation for just a general pop person or somebody who just wants, you know, their estrogen's low, so we'll add in estrogen, um, can be fine. But when you have like physique goals, it's really good to understand how these things will affect your prep and how you may need to, like you did, adjust some nutritional aspects so that you can still achieve those goals in this stage of life. So um, it's not completely hopeless. It may just take a little bit of time, but I applaud you for being resilient and figuring that out and not letting it be an excuse to just say, oh, well, I'm, you know, too old or I'm in a really rough lifestyle and I have to hang up my heels. So I'm very proud of you. And I'm sure our listeners are very appreciative of your anecdotal stories as well, too, because it is something I think is not talked about. Um, and maybe just unresearched or not addressed in the medical community as much. So we're all just kind of figuring out how to help women in these later stages of life. So thank you for being honest and sharing all of that. Yeah, of course. Thank you for your kind words. And I hope my story kind of helps at least that one listener, like our mission states, you know, because I know that everybody is a different picture in the puzzle I mean I wouldn't have you know thought of this concept of the unicorn prep where everybody's unique and individualized that everybody has their own journey to the stage and what their body needs and perimenopause is one of the number one things that I think it affects everyone differently some people don't experience it some people experience it for like 10 to 12 years like this could last until menopause is onset. So I think just making sure that you're an advocate for your own health, yes. getting regular blood work. Um, I mean, don't, you don't have to get like blood work, you know, every cycle or something like that. I would say I probably within this last year, I, you know, probably four times, maybe every mm-hmm. like four to six months, depending uh, when it was like, you know, a health factor, it was like every two months or something like that. But sure. um, track your cycle too. If I didn't have the data showing that I had had a period like every single month mm-hmm. um, in my P tracker, I think she would have thought that I was, you know, that I needed something different, um, right. more drastic. So I think that's the biggest way that you can really advocate for yourself as a female is tracking your cycle because everyone's cycle is completely unique to them Mm -hmm. and it will show you so much about your body. Um, I just cannot say that enough. So even if you don't have the money to like most of the stuff is, you know, most of it's out of pocket. Some of mine were obviously not, um, but for the most part, like if you're just doing routine ones, so the the background information I had on my hormones and my blood sugars and all of that, like all of that was out of pocket because most of the time doctors aren't going to 
have you do it unless you have like some sort of symptom or problem they won't run the blood work through insurance so sure you know even if you can't afford that the p tracker that i use is free you know so mm-hmm. that in and of, of itself has created a map for what my baseline was before this all happened you know i used to have like five to seven day like heavy bleeding every month and i knew that because i'd been tracking my period and so i knew when things were abnormal um you know when i just have like one day of spotting um every month you know that that was an indicator so that's another thing too is like your your cycle will start to like either be like super heavy or like almost uneventful and you know at all so sure yeah and you notice other symptoms like uh temperature and sleep Mm -hmm. so it's good to keep an eye on those things just so you have like you said more information to give your doctor to help you piece the puzzle together yeah my endocrinologist I mean, God love him. He always says, hello, Dr. Anger. Every time he walks in the door, (laughs) I just eye roll him. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, he's like, so what do you have for me today? Because I always like have my blood work ready to go, you know, but I mean, I'll take that. Like if you're going to give me a hard time, but sure. um, You know, I, I look back to myself, like before I started this whole bodybuilding journey, I just wasn't as in tune with my, my health and my body. And yeah. I would just take things for first, like whatever the doctor said, like, that's what I'm going to go with, you know, right. and it's, there's more to every, everything, you know, there's options. So if well, it's it anything I learned. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time to like put the pieces together because our bodies are like so complicated. So sometimes a physician doesn't have a lot of time. So if you can help in that process by like collecting the data and you know, giving them the information, then it's, I think, better. It it also like helps the doctor make better decisions as well, I think. So yeah, nothing wrong with that. Okay. Well, we will be recapping our team show. And we also have our bikini challenge ending next Monday as well. So we're excited about that. Um, So we'll have lots of updates for you next time. If you are interested in your unicorn prep, you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the get started button to apply. You can find us on Instagram at Prep Life Podcast or at Glam Girl Bikini. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger, mm-hmm. signing off with my fabulous co-host. And this is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>